0: No registration is required with RCAT, so try it today and get ahead on your next project. Visit RCAT.com. That's A-R-C-A-T dot com.
1: You know, whatever it takes, we're going to get it done. And we joke it's great to design beautiful things, but it's it's better to build them. And uh, so whatever it takes, we're, we're in. Build or die. Mm-hmm.
2: To me, build or die is like if you don't try, if you don't put it out there, you know, it's definitely not going to happen. You know, I just think it's nice to even take it different ways. Yeah. This is Detailed,
0: an original podcast by RCAT. I am your host, Sharice Lakeside, Senior Specification Writer at RDH Building Science and fondly known as the CSI Kraken. We will speak with professionals who share their insights into the most complex, interesting, and odd building conditions and the ingenuity it took to make it work. Join me as I pull back the curtain on the building industry and uncover the lessons learned. You'll gain valuable knowledge to help you better navigate your next project. Welcome to Detailed. The voices you heard in our intro are my guests, Heather Salisbury, Director of Operations, and Steve Droll, Principal from Valerio DeWalt Train, with offices in Chicago, Denver, Palo Alto, and San Francisco. Valerio DeWalt Train, or VDT, specializes in projects across a wide range of sectors, including multifamily housing, institutional, workplace hospitality, educational, and more. They take a research-based approach driven by their inherent desire to build, embodied in their firm motto, build or die. Heather Salisbury, as Director of Operations, with over two decades of experience and skills in project management and mentorship, which are guided by her love of the pragmatic fundamentals of design. She is tireless in her application of technical knowledge to guide projects to completion and values clear communication to achieve successful design solutions. Along with her passion for vermiculture, composting and recycling, she is active with the firm's Sustainability Group, Design Workshop Group, Standards and Technology Management. Steve Droll, embodying the ethos of Build or Die as principal at VDT, is defined by intensity, passion, and drive. Steve's interpersonal communication abilities and skill in managing complex projects with lots of moving pieces have led to the success of projects nationwide. Whether he's collaborating with his clients, mentoring his team, or taking road trips with his family, he uses the force of great design to lead the way. The project we are going to talk about today is The Broadview, at Vanderbilt University in Nashville, Tennessee. But before we get started, don't forget to take a look at the project photos and drawings as you listen along. You can click the link in our show notes or visit www.rcat.com podcast. Located in the heart of Midtown Nashville, Vanderbilt University set out to create a student housing complex for their graduate students. The university aimed to build quality housing near campus that would foster opportunities for residents to create community and build interdisciplinary connections.
1: This project really began as a developer-led design competition offered by Vanderbilt University. BDT was paired with a national developer that had a local presence in Nashville and the competition began in the December of 2018. That was about a five month process to go through a design charrette and selection process. We were eventually awarded the project in April of 2019. Of course, like most projects, it had a very aggressive schedule. We completed all, the entire design and documentation in about eight months. Right around the end of 2019, as the developer was preparing to finalize their GMP, secure the financing, and break ground with that local contractor, something came along, right? The, the infamous COVID pandemic hit us all and this project was no exception, was, was really affected. It, it started by just going on hold and ultimately completely fell out of the hands of the developer we were paired with initially. Gratefully, Vanderbilt was committed to the project and really more importantly to us, selfishly, they were committed to the design and asked us to actually participate in a national search to find a new development partner. And in doing that, they only had two requirements. I'm sure they had more. We were aware of only two. One was they couldn't change any aspects of the design, and they couldn't give up any aspects of the sustainability goals. Both of those were very important to the university. That kicked off near the end of 2020, and Balfour Beatty was selected as the new developer paired with J.E. Dunn in Nashville.
0: Behind the university's first public-private partnership, or... P3 agreement, the university had a creative way to bring the project to life. P3 is
1: three P's, PPP, that stands for a public-private partnership. VDT has been involved in several of these projects. All of them have involved a university client, a private developer, uh, forming that partnership. Besides the graduate student village at Vanderbilt, we've successfully completed a P3 project with the University of Chicago. That project's called View 53 and is just on the south side of the city in Hyde Park, Chicago. In both cases, the university contributes land that they own to the deal for a private developer to design and construct a project based on the university's goals and program. So they kind of say, we want X amount of space here, X number of units. They find a local partner or a a developer partner to construct that building for them. The developer then enters a land lease agreement where the university maintains ownership of the land and the developer operates, manages, and maintains the building for whatever the duration of that lease is. Typically, it's 75 to 100 years. At the end of that lease, if it's not renewed by the developer, the land and the building reverts back to the university. It's interesting. And one of the challenges always is, even though originally the university doesn't own the building, they still have a very vested interest because ultimately it may become there. So there's always a debate about university standards, which are lofty where a developer might have different standards that they build to. And it's, it's a very collaborative process to find that balance Mm -hmm. about meeting the university's needs, but respecting really what the developer can afford to build. Right, and it's a very collaborative process.
0: The project was awarded to the VDT team and the scope would ultimately consist of 525 apartment style units with a rich array of amenities in a 12 story mixed use building. That scope along with an aggressive project delivery schedule required VDT to rethink their team's approach.
1: You know, not only did it have a very aggressive schedule, you know, all developer projects do that. That's not necessarily unique, but student housing projects are a completely different animal because no matter what, those students are coming, right? And there is no opportunity to miss. And so it is just imperative that everybody work together so that the building is ready at the start of that academic year. How does that translate to the design team? Of course, that just means. Everything we do gets compressed to be able to build some fluff on the back end because we all know things are going to happen once we start construction. And so for us, that meant after winning the design competition, we had to be in for foundation permit in only 14 weeks. So here we have a very large building, 525 apartments. We needed to go from sketches to foundation permit documents in only 14 weeks. That really forced us to rethink how we execute our documents and really how we build our teams. A big project like this historically would just have a very large internal team that you methodically kind of linearly work through the design and documentation process. Well, that doesn't work when you have to be in for permit in 14 weeks. So we came up with a very innovative approach where we built three mini internal teams just for VDT. There was an initial team set up that was strictly project management that dealt with anything the client needed, all interactions with the university. Then there was what we called the exteriors team that Heather led, and that was everything focused with the building enclosure. And then we had what we called an interiors team that was led by another one of our senior associates, Lauren Shelton. That was really focused on the apartments. While we call it interiors, let's be honest, a big building like this is all about the apartments. Focused on the coordination and everything with that, that allowed everything related to the building to move on parallel paths and dramatically compress the schedule. It was highly successful, and it's something we've actually started to implement now on other fast-track
0: projects. As a research-based firm, that's where the team started.
1: There were some very clear goals that we first needed to dig into and make sure we could realize. From a university standpoint, of course, their goal was to create graduate student housing directly adjacent to campus, but there was a big component about those apartments being affordable for the students. Before we were ever brought on board, the university worked with an outside consultant in Brailsford and Dunleavy to survey the students to really figure out what was important to them. And really, we worked with that group, and in analyzing the data, had three key takeaways from that research. One, surprisingly, the students wanted small, very efficient apartments. That was probably tied to an affordability component. They probably realized the smaller the apartment, the more affordable it would be. But secondly, in giving up space, that might leave room for some more amenities. And those proved to be very important to the graduate students here. Really, we. And the university perceives graduate students as sort of that step almost to being a true professional and truly living independently. So in-unit amenities were very important to the students. They wanted small kitchenettes, and they also wanted in-unit laundry. And they were willing to compromise space to be able to get those amenities for them individually. And the third thing was it was really important to the students that they had space within the building for collaboration. But overall, really the building is organized as a U-shaped development and that U is organized around a central corridor that really faces back to the university. It's westward facing back towards the university. The site itself straddles two different zoning districts, which really offered some unique challenges that led to really the massing strategy for the building. The northern half of the site was zoned that allowed for a greater height and density. So, organized along the northern edge of the site is an 11-story wing. The southern half of the site was zoned for much lower density and lower height. So, the building steps down and transitions to a seven-story wing that frames that courtyard. And really, it's it's an urban response to the neighborhood, sort of this staggered massing that really relates and ties into the neighborhood really quite well. And from the very beginning that the idea about the courtyard was that it would fi- uh, frame a gateway back to the university for students and even the neighborhood. There's a, the, the building is perforated at the grade and students can kind of and residents can kind of flow through our courtyard as they work their way
0: back to campus. The entire Vanderbilt campus is designated as an arboretum with approximately 190 species of trees and shrubs amongst the more than 6,000 trees. The design intent behind the Broadview was to extend the arboretum visually and functionally with a new series of courtyards which terminate in the open courtyard of the U-shaped graduate housing building. A challenge to executing the design was the site where VDT had to navigate a 12-foot slope.
2: Basically, the way the site works is it slopes from the low point, it's on the east side, up to the west end. And the west end faces the university. So what we did is we located the retail and, like, back of house, the garage entry at that low side on the east end of the project. And then as we sloped up, the entry for the residential, which is a big public plaza is all at a floor above. And that's coplanar with that university grade, though it continues to slope up as you go to the university. It did make some challenging. We're trying to fit the, you know, the parking garage underneath that plaza just because you still have to drain the plaza. So there's a lot of plumbing to coordinate. How do you locate that? So you're not impeding your, you know, eight foot two ADA clearance or your van parking. It's all those little code things that you just are kind of like oh, okay, whatever. But then in a real project, it's like, (laughs) it makes a lot of trouble. So again, it was like super exciting to see it all worked. Yeah. So I I think it kind of makes it almost seem like two separate buildings in a way, Mm -hmm. you know, as you go along Broadway, which is the south end of the site, you definitely angle up, you know, to that west end. And then you turn the corner and you're like, oh, there's a big plaza and the entry to this residential building. But really, that's kind of hidden from the east end of the site that's more dedicated to that retail. We have a large grocery store that'll be moving in on that's taking the whole south end of the building on that lower level.
0: The university's predominant building material is red brick, and other buildings on the campus are defined as a series of linked courtyards for the arboretum. VDT carried that aesthetic
2: through in their design, which turned out to be quite advantageous. I mean, the main exterior building material is the brick. And that was something that was um, really encouraged by the university. That's a tie back to that university. They have a lot of red brick buildings on their campus now. So that ties our building back to the current campus. It's also very, very durable material. And in this market, we were surprised to find it's also extremely affordable to install. So, you know, we have other materials in the building and whenever we price it out, it would always be the brick was super affordable. So we ended up actually changing a lot of our design where we had metal panels. We went to brick in a lot of locations where it made sense. And so the other material is ACM, a painted aluminum panel, and that's at the um, accents for the building. So we've got some spaces we called lantern lounges, which are for the students. Those are up high on the building, and those are all clad with the metal. And then we also have these setbacks in the facade at the windows, and that also had the metal panel there. And then the windows also are another important part of the, of the exterior enclosure. I and mean, we went with a fiberglass composite system that is a lot more energy efficient than you know your typical window. But being it's more durable than your vinyl windows that you have in a single family homes. And that was also to achieve those sustainability goals. So the, I guess the other thing is like behind the brick, there's also more insulation than you typically have. So normally with a brick cavity, you'd have two inches of insulation we have at least three inches of insulation behind all of our exterior materials. And We did a, a lot of um, analysis. Like we had uh, one of our vendors did some of the hygrothermic analysis for the facade just because we're really concerned about moisture and making sure the dew point, you know, having that much insulation. So we actually limited the amount of bad insulation that was in the studs just to make sure we wouldn't have any issues. And also that insulation doesn't really provide that much in the way of our value. That we did do a lot of research on the air and water barrier, which initially was a factory-installed air and water barrier, but it ended up being the more typical liquid applied, you know, applied in the field, was more cost-effective, and that's what was installed. And GC just did an amazing job with their quality of installation and QCing all that. We really had no water issues. To meet the goals to create community and build
0: interdisciplinary connections. The team set out to find a balance between public, private, and collaborative spaces.
2: So like you said, the majority the residential units. There are 525 apartments, but they also have access to, on that main entry level, a large collaboration space. And that's actually open to the university as well. So they can you know, have other co-students you know, come over there and you know, work together on projects. So it consists of like a large open space with a variety of collaboration furniture, also enclosed conference rooms and and work rooms. And there's a large fitness center down there as well with a a yoga room. So it's very nice double height space. There's also up in the residential floors, the upper floors, there are three large, what we call lantern lounges. And those each have a different function. So there's like a movie lounge, a game lounge, and a zen lounge. And they all have a different interior design, but they're also double height spaces with large double height windows. That's a real accident. You actually see that on the outside of the building as well. They almost look like kind of lit lanterns, which is why we've called them lanterns. And then from the interior, there's also large glass, basically walls along the corridor. So it can open as much as possible to that interior space to encourage the students to use that. And there's also a small lounge on the second floor that opens to a private terrace that's elevated above that plaza. So there is, you know, some exterior space for them to use. Both spaces will have collaboration furniture so that people can. The students can work outside or inside. Obviously, the the plaza is not private, but, you know, up on that terrace, that will be a private space. And, of course, they have, you know, some grill stations so where they can do some cooking outside.
1: <laughs> there was really a, a notion to make it a community. So the units don't have balconies. There, there's no private outdoor space. But the idea was all the outdoor space we offer would be for everybody to use to really foster a sense of community and that collaboration. So it's it's all public. Or
0: even if it's private, it's for a larger audience than just an individual apartment. To deliver this ambitious project, the team moved construction off-site whenever possible. This reduced costs, improved the schedule, and improved quality.
1: The project had a very aggressive schedule. So we turned to our experience with a prefabricated structural system to help expedite construction. The project utilized a prescient system, which is a proprietary system of prefabricated cold form steel load-bearing walls and trusses for floors. It's all manufactured off-site, trucked to the construction site, and assembled in the field. The result is a building that is erected very quickly, almost like a giant set of tinker toys. It goes together very quickly, allowing for the other trades to get into the building, working sooner than it would in a conventional construction process.
3: Broadview was building on a relationship we had with a specific building system, which is known as Prescient.
0: This is Dave Lewis, president of S.A. Miro Inc., the structural engineering firm for the Broadview and engineer of record for the Prescient system.
3: Prescient was developed here in the Denver area about 15 years ago, I think, as kind of an alternate solution to building uh, mid-rise up to 12-story projects without having to build out of concrete so offering somewhat of an economic solution that really uh worked well it's a panelized system so it goes up fast there isn't as much intensity on a job site in terms of people assembling things in place and so it's a compelling product and pressenet approached us in 2015 to be their engineer of record, which means we re- review their work. They have a real robust engineering team in-house, but we would review and stamp it as engineer of record. And that's a pretty important thing in our world. When you stamp a set of structural drawings, you're really taking ownership and risk for whatever might happen. And hopefully nothing ever happens and it, it serves well. But we found that there are certain design teams that really took the prescient system and and saw ways to apply it to pretty complex buildings, and we would count Broadview as one of those.
0: We also spoke with Brad Vassa, senior project engineer at SA Miro, who shared his insight into the structural design for the Broadview.
4: I mean, this job had let's see, it was six stories over a concrete podium on the south side, and nine stories a prescient, which is what I mean by over a podium on the north side. The podiums are a little bit thinner than we would typically like a design for for something like this but we worked with the architect a lot to kind of incorporate their vision while also meeting all the structural requirements. This one kind of had everything it has a plaza at level 1 which is an exterior space. Level 2 has a terrace area with large steps from the the main podium down so that presented a lot of design challenges. And on the northwest corner there's kind of an interesting it became an architectural design feature that they termed the, the fangs which is basically some pt concrete beams that extend outside the level three floor plate which is not a typical thing that we would normally do reason that was done was because they couldn't handle the, the columns within the the building envelope so to kind of accommodate their design and uh, meet the structural requirements we we pushed them outside and they kind of made it an interesting architectural design feature which was pretty cool
1: it was identified very early that this was going to be the structural system and the solution for the building so They were in many ways, even though they were a subcontractor, they served a design role and they were a consultant throughout that entire design process. And I I think you had weekly or sometimes even bi-weekly coordination meetings to hash out all those things. And uh, that's critical, right? They need to be at the table early on to be able to identify all those things so that it goes smoothly on the back end.
2: Yeah, I mean, you had to coordinate things like, oh, we have a two-hour wall here. We need to leave a gap for the insult for the uh, gypsum, you know, to come through the mm-hmm. the floor trusses or whatever. So there's, there's a, a lot of detail that went into the design, and then it continued through the CA.
3: One of the things that became evident sometimes when we first find out about a project, and in this case, we found out via prescient, was we would have an expectation of kind of a level flat box that's all one level across the top. But instead of kind of a flat box, you'll see that valley area, you'll see high space, which makes, again, for a very interesting space in terms of people going inside and outside of the building. So what we try to do collectively, as we often do, and Prescient has gotten used to it, is that we point out to them what some of the complexities are going to be. But we try not to be kind of folks that maybe when I was first coming up, People I worked for were kind of like, well, this is the way it's going to be. The structure is going to be here and you're going to work around it. Take it or leave it. That really doesn't fly so well anymore. And it doesn't lead to a good outcome in general. So being able to say, well, yes. And here's what we'll need. And as Brad said, discussions about how much concrete, how thick the podium might want to be. We start with the ideal. And then they say, well, how about if we do this? And there's always an answer as we found in this world in the podcast that I've listened to from you all really point to that, that good design finds a way And some of these great architects. They work with their engineering team to say, okay, nothing's insurmountable. Let's try to quantify it and see if we can afford it and move forward and preserve as much of the vision as possible while still trying to maintain a budget, which I'll just say these days are as challenging as any in my long career. And we have to respect that. It's got to get built. It's got to meet a budget and a pro forma. But can you get all those things into one container and really make this happen? That's what I think we find kind of fun and interesting these days is that design teams will say, well, come on in. Let's all talk early on and bring the contractor, too, for that matter, and really see what can be done.
2: I think the other thing that's interesting about this project is, you know, you talked about the units being small and tight. And trying to fit that in with this prefabricated system, which has a limitation of having a two-foot module. So if you think about it, you're planning a residential unit, which has a lot of clearances required by the building code to be adaptable, but all those clearances, if you were like, oh, I need another inch, well, <laughs> too bad. Yeah, I mean, know. the walls between the units are every two feet because you right. had to make it work and figure it out and also figure out. You've also got trusses under the floor that are every two feet. So then you have to figure out where's my shower drain going? Does it fit there? Where's my toilet drain? It's like a big puzzle. I mean, it was really challenging, a lot of problem solving. You're kind of nervous about it, but at the same time, it's like really fun when you figure it out and it gets installed and you're like, it worked.
0: The team fully immersed themselves in this technology using the modular system as a tool for innovative, atypical design elements.
1: We've now completed three projects using the same system, and each time we found a way to use it a little better. And so with Prescient being at the table earlier, we could really understand the system and figure out how to still use it efficiently while generating a very unique architectural solution. And so at each of those lanterns Heather talked about, there's a twist in the geometry that you wouldn't see in a system that is just stacked on top of each other. But just through really understanding the system and working very closely with them, we were able to accomplish something really unique without adding any kind of inefficiency or really any expense.
0: When it came to construction, preparation was crucial.
2: The construction administration phase of this project was really stressful at the beginning. If you think about this system, you had to figure out where is it coming down and hitting? And it's not not that it's hitting the foundation. It's actually sitting on a really thick transfer slab that has embeds every four to six feet wherever these posts come down. So, you know, we had to review those drawings right away. Are the embeds in the right spot? Are they facing the right way? Are they going to stick out? They're going to be visible somewhere for how they're connecting to that first post. The other thing was reviewing all the window sizings, the window size correctly to fit in the brick module and also this system, and then reviewing the prescient shop drawings. And this is all like the very beginning you had to look at every single opening. Is it in the right place? Is the window going to fit in there with room for the sheathing and the sealant? Are the doors going to fit? Is it in the right spot on the plan? I mean, it was a lot of work, a lot of thinking ahead of time. And I think, you know, most projects are used to saying, yeah, the door's going here and then you'll frame it out on site. And this was the total opposite. And she had to think through and make sure it was right. And there were places where even though the shop drawings were correct, they did get a few panels that came out on site that were slightly off, but we were able to adjust our details still to
0: to work with that. Another complexity in construction came back to the site.
2: Some of the building was built differently than we thought it would be. You know, the pressing system sits on, like I said, this large transfer slab. So the bottom two floors are you know concrete building, and you wouldn't normally pour that in I don't know fifteen different pours, but it ended up having to be poured like that because. This site was originally just little bitty one-story buildings. There's actually, I think everything drained to a brick sanitary line, literally made of brick. So part of our project was this huge civil upgrade to the system all around us. They put in, I don't remember, it was eight-foot diameter pipe down Broadway. And, you know, Nashville's kind of got a different consistency of the the dirt, right? It's not dirt. It's like maybe a foot of dirt. And then it's all bedrock right there.
3: We didn't have to dig too deep, did we, Brad? Not to get too far into details, but the bedrock in Nashville is something to contend with. It's right there. (laughs) If somebody wants a basement level, you say, well, great. I understand in Nashville there's a current zoning discussion. They've said they would adopt a new code that would say all parking has to be below ground. We don't want to see any structured parking above grade. That sounds great, but... That adds a lot of cost to a project, especially when your subsurface is pretty stubborn material like this, and you're you're digging down as opposed to just building up. What does that really mean going forward? Because they want development, they want density. It's exciting, but can this really be feasibly enacted? And what's it going to mean?
2: So to do our underground parking garage, they have to blast. You know, which sounded really exciting, but they just put these big pads down and then they- <laughs> Pretty
1: anticlimactic. Yeah. It yeah, oh, was like a puff. Yeah.
2: yeah. It was like, Poof, okay, remove <laughs> the gravel. Great. Anyway, that was a t- <laughs> exciting. But when they put the pipe down Broadway, they, had to, they couldn't do that. So they had to like literally grind that out. And I think, you know, they thought, oh, it'll take us a month. It took three or four times as long. So that brick line had to stay in place and it ran diagonally across the site, really the line between the two different zoning parcels that we talked about. So they had to pour the building in multiple pieces and figure out how can we structurally pour, you know, this PT post-tensioned slab, and get the poles in the right spot and get it to work. So there was a lot, a lot of work with that, a lot of coordination.
0: This project consists of a lot of elements that created unique challenges. But with challenges comes opportunities to learn
2: and carry those lessons into the next project you know, you always work with vendors and they're always willing to look at things and, you know, you meet with them, you talk about it, you think you have it figured out. And I learned, you know, especially for a big project like this, I should have actually used that vendor's wisdom a little bit more and sent them our drawings and said, hey, look at this detail. Because we kind of made some wrong assumptions about how the windows would attach. And, you know, it turned out that what we had thought we understood wasn't quite You know, it was close, but it just it didn't Quite work. So we had to make some adjustments to those details. And I think we thought that the windows had a few more options to attachment, and they don't. So they only test it three ways and that's it. So that was a big lesson learned for me.
0: <laughs> Lastly but certainly not least, in addition to the amazing work that we've already discussed, the Broadview is also tracking for lead gold accreditation. The design achieved an energy use intensity, or EUI, of 35 KBTU per foot squared, using both on-site and off-site PVs to reduce utility costs by $75 a month. From a developer-led design competition in December 2018 to the start of construction in the spring of 2021, the Broadview is now open for residents to move in in preparation for the fall 2023 start of the school year. Additionally, the Broadview recently has expanded its eligibility to include Vanderbilt undergraduate, graduate, postdoctoral, faculty, staff, Vanderbilt Medical Center staff, as well as graduate and professional students from Belmont, Lipscomb, Meharry, Fisk, Trevecca Nazarene, and Tennessee State University to share in a community of collaboration and elevated living space. Before we close out this episode, I always try to gain some additional insight from our guests about the greater industry. I personally had to hear a little bit more about the firm's motto, build or die.
1: I mean, your listeners should go to our website, www.builderdie.com And there's a great video on there that actually goes around to staff. I think we did this in conjunction with an anniversary, or I can't remember what the impetus was, but it goes around and asks staff their impression of how Build or Die came to be. And of course, it, it ends with Joe Valerio, one of our founding principals, Telling the story only to be corrected by one of our other principals that his story was wrong. Right? It was <laughs> fantastic. So it's almost urban legend at this point. And it really means something different to everybody. For me, the build or die mentality is about intensity and passion. It's recognized by our clients and is really a differentiator for us. You know, whatever it takes, we're going to get it done. And we joke it's great to design beautiful things, but it's, it's better to build them. And uh, so whatever it takes, we're we're in, build or die.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. I always like that, just the take on it is like not to underestimate your clients. I think sometimes you just assume a client wants a certain kind of look. And I think Joe's always talked about how we come in with like multiple ideas, very different ideas. And half the time, the client will choose the most crazy idea. And you're just like, wow, that's totally shocking. And it's like, if you're, to me, build or die is like, if you don't try, if you don't put it out there, You know, it's definitely not going to happen. You know, I just think it's nice you can take it different ways. Yeah. After fully
0: embracing the prescient system as a method of construction, I was curious what other innovations around construction efficiency would be game changers. We've talked a lot
1: about prefabrication and modularity. We didn't talk about it specifically in the context of Vanderbilt, but early on in the project, we conducted a working session that we called an innovation hack. And it was all about how do we deal with this really aggressive schedule, and what do we do to to help solve it? Let's use that as a vehicle to innovate. What can we do that's really creative? There was a lot of discussion, a lot of research around prefabricated and modular construction, and VDT has done a whole bunch of stuff on the side. And it's interesting... The full range or spectrum of options that are out there. We have researched and done prototypes around truly modular construction, where an entire apartment is lifted up and hoisted into place, to components being prefabricated. The structural system we ended up utilizing is one example of that. It was a component of the building that was prefabricated off site and then erected on site. We've investigated modular bathrooms, to modular kitchens, to Plumbing systems, right? And how that could even logistically work as something's going up where they're brought in to really streamline and reduce the on site time. So let's be honest, that's where the risk exists, right? Weather, so many things are out of everybody's control that the more you can move off site, easier the on site becomes. So I, I think there's a lot of innovation there.
0: Mm-hmm. I truly enjoyed this conversation with Heather and Steve and hope you enjoyed it as well. If you are listening to this in real time, we are taking a brief break for a couple of weeks, but you're in luck. We have bonus content that will continue to hit our feed while we're away. Again, I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope it sparks a new idea, helps you solve a problem that you've been working through or inspires the mark that you want to leave on this world on your path to world domination.
2: I'm going to laugh because my I don't really have a world domination statement. <laughs> I have a world domination attitude, maybe, which I try to share. And it comes from dimensioning. <laughs> so some architect <laughs> from Chicago from a long time ago with roots in SOM told me to, you know, say what you want when you're dimensioning. And that for me goes with everything I do from, you know, the documents that I produce. It's like, be simple in your drawings. Be clear in your communication. Are... Industry is already so complex in what we're trying to build and communicate and how many people are involved. And sometimes I think we're overly complicated in how we draw things. And we don't think about how the other people down the road who aren't on the project every day are going to be able to understand what they're trying to build. But I also try to do that in just teaching people to be confident and to say what they want, ask for what they need. I think sometimes people are like afraid. To ask a question. And I'm just like first one in there, like, okay, well that's what you're asking. Sorry, I don't mean to yell. <laughs> Let's just ask. <laughs> Why are we scared? <laughs> that's right. You know, we're all people. These principals in the office are not like these holy gods that we can't talk to. You know, just go ask a question. <laughs> but the same on the construction site, you know, sometimes people are kind of like having a problem and they're afraid to approach me. I mean, we've had problems on projects and you know the plumbing guys all worried about like oh my god we have this problem i'm like let's sit down and talk about it i'll help you <laughs> you know so we're all together but just say what you need say what you want
1: if i had to summarize it, it it kind of came up even in our build or die discussion it's it's really live passionately i think we have the opportunity to affect change most in the areas we're most passionate about so whatever it is attack it with vigor and passion and i think when others see that passion, it's infectious, and it helps motivate others to perhaps get involved.
0: Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and want to learn more, visit rcat.com forward slash podcast to see photos, details, and more related project and product information that we discussed today. While you're there, take a look around rcat.com. For over 30 years, RCAT has been the resource for AEC professionals to find the right products for their project. Try RCAT and see how their tools can save you time and money and help you get ahead on your next project. Visit RCAT.com. That's A-R-C-A-T dot com. If you enjoyed the show, you can support us by subscribing, leaving a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, and sharing this with your friends. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back to share more stories and lessons learned to help you navigate your next project.